Are you ever have one of those conversations where you realize, hey, you know what? I'm just going to sit back and listen and learn because I actually don't have anything to contribute here. That is this podcast you're listening to right here. Hey, it's Jeff with you once again with the Church Digital Podcast, powered by Stadium Church Planning, of course. And this conversation is one of those where you're just going to sit back and listen. You're going to get out a piece of paper. You're going to write down some notes. You're going to check out the show notes. You're going to buy some books because the knowledge that's dropped on this podcast, the different way of thinking is phenomenal. We're bringing in Dave Ferguson uh, onto the podcast here. Dave is uh, lead pastor up at uh, Community Christian Church in uh, in Chicago. Uh, awesome man, author, well published, uh, involved with the Exponential Network, leader of the of the New Thing Network. Like he is so busy. He is doing so much in the kingdom for the kingdom. And honestly, the thing that I respect about him the most is that he is constantly innovating. He is constantly trying new things. He's got a mega gigachurch. Shoot, you sit back and relax. No, don't do that. Let's work on micro church. Let's work on planting multiple models of church out of out of this existing church uh, community Christian. It's a beautiful thing that he's doing out of his church. And so we wanted to talk about it. We wanted to talk about the biblical ecclesiology. How do you do multimodal church? How do you have one church that has different modes, different models coming out of it? What does that even look like? This is what we start to scratch the surface with Dave here. And and to make the knowledge more complete, by the way, we're bringing in Craig Whitney. Craig Whitney is with Stadia Church Planning, VP of Planner Development. He planted his first church when he was, I think he said 26 years old. At one point he told me, and he has been involved in church planning since then. And by the way, he's not anywhere near 26 anymore. I'm not going to date the guy, but he's on the old side. And so there's lots of wisdom and experience in this podcast. So when I tell you, I'm just sitting back here to learn. Honestly, that is that is the God honest truth. And it's an incredible conversation here. Once again, we've got Dave Ferguson, lead pastor, Community Christian Church, uh, Exponential New Thing Network, authors all over the place. We've got Craig Whitney from Stadia Church Planning, myself, Jeff with the Church Digital and Stadia Church Planning, in a conversation that I'm simply calling the biblical ecclesiological functions of a multimodal church. Okay, everybody, here you go. So Dave, it's been a year. Like, what What are you, what's the lesson? I, just any context, it, it would be crazy of me not to ask this. What, what have you learned in, in this COVID season? Personal, church, whatever, whatever the context. I'm just curious. What's like the big lesson in Dave Ferguson's life in this COVID season? Two things come to mind, and I learned it from different people. Um, we had we had Wayne Cordero come and join us at a staff meeting. I think you guys both know Wayne and probably a lot of your listeners do. Brilliant, brilliant leader. And he, what was the book he wrote on uh, leading on empty? And one of the things he said about uh, crisis, he says, during a, cri- during a crisis, you always want to focus on the 5%. And then he said, and the 5% is doing only what you can do. And he said, make sure you do those things. And he, and he went on, he said, even during a crisis, you could be a great husband. Even during a crisis, you can be a good dad. You're the only one that can do that. And then he kind of broadened a little too. He said, and, or maybe narrowed it. He said, and during a crisis, you're the only one that can take care of your body. And you're the only one during a crisis that can take care of your spirit and your soul. And so, I mean, it was just because in that time when everything feels like it's out of control, 
to have a guy like that who's, you know, he's gone through some stuff uh, to say, hey, here's how you manage Christ. That was super helpful. That was super helpful to me. And the other thing I'd say real quick was, um, I think you guys, you guys know Steve Stroop. Steve's a brilliant, brilliant leader. So early on, I think it was probably the first week, like early in March of 2020, I'm talking to Steve on the phone and he kind of coaches me on some stuff. And uh, he used this phrase and we just adopted it as a, as a slogan for our church, really for a whole year. And it's this, he says, we're fierce. He's a crisis. Faith sees opportunity. We're fierce. He's a crisis. Faith sees opportunity. And just that mindset shift for me, it kind of shifted things, right? And I just began to pray. I mean, literally every day, okay, God, give me wisdom not to miss the opportunities during this year. And um, I think God was faithful to that prayer. And I think we'll get a, t- we'll get a chance to talk about some of those things. But uh, those are the two things for me that I really kind of took away going, okay, how do you lead during this crisis? It came from those two guys. Yeah, where fear sees a crisis, faith sees an opportunity. We will definitely be getting into that here in, in just a minute. Craig, you know, I'll, once again, would love to hear your intake. What's the big lesson? What's the big takeaway uh, for you for for COVID? Well, I would say that that fear seeing crisis, faith seeing opportunity was one of the big lessons, uh, both for me personally and uh, in working with church planners, I think there's a surprise for me. I'm not trying to throw people under the bus, but I kind of, you kind of think of church planners as these, you know, faith opportunists kind of category of people and maybe more so, but it was interesting for me to observe that even amongst like that very, you know, forward looking risk taking group, like the faith and opportunism was not universal. Um, and so there were people who were, were feeling fearful, um, and, and we're seeing crisis and, and just help, how do we help navigate people through that? Uh, I think for me, one of the lessons was, uh, I would just say this, but innovation is not as easy or frequent as we sometimes think it is. The, you know, just the, the pandemic and like the things it forced us into, really required innovation, required us to think about how do we do something in a way that we've never done it before. And finding those answers wasn't easy. And what I realized is that we're, we're maybe just church world, maybe people's general, we're far better at iterating than we are innovating. We take a good idea and we think, well, I could make it a little bit better. I could personalize it you know, to my world or my people, my church. But to really come up with a new idea that's never been done before, it just doesn't happen very often. Uh, yet I think sometimes we talk like, oh, we're innovating all the time. And we're not really. And there, there's a there's a cultural application to that too. It's like if you can come up with a new idea, but culture's got to buy into it. It's got to be accepted. It's got to be um, you know, brought in so that they can they can own that that principle. Uh and that's also kind of pulls the thread a little bit on, on what I what I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about here. So um, long story short, this whole podcast came about, we were on a, a Twitter thread. Somehow Dave Ferguson and guy, guy got tagged into this conversation with some people out of Transformation Church, I, I think up in, um, uh, North Carolina area. Um, and they were talking about micro church and how it's, it's similar to digital only church planting. And, and, and both of these, by the way, princip- the premises of their church of church, not very accepted. I think pre COVID. Now, mid post COVID, wherever we are on, on this, I, I, maybe it's a, a little more accepted, but both of these are still kind of, okay, micro church, maybe a little bit like the house church of the seventies. And there's still a negative tinge on that. Um, 
when it comes towards digital uh, only churches, yeah, that's not on many or anybody's radar really in this, but there's some similarities in context of, of how they work together. I, I would love to maybe dialogue here and, and start to explore. Okay. So we got these micro locations, like what micro churches, what, what is a micro church, you know, Dave through exponential, you're, we're, doing a lot of these and, and you're great at exponential of exploring these fringes and helping us figure out how to get more in those spaces. So at exponential, what does micro church look like? What does a micro church expression look like? Well, I'll, 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 uh, I'll tweak that the question a little bit if you'll allow me, because really I mean, at exponential, we just kind of affirm every kind of church. And so probably my own laboratory for church planning ends up being either new thing or community Christian. In this case, it's community Christian church. So I'll, I'll speak from that context. I mean, for us at Community Christian, I mean, we see a digital, I mean, we see a, a, a micro church is just a, a smaller, but a full expression of church, often led by volunteers where you live, work, or play. So that's probably a simple definition. We give it smaller, but full expression of church, often led by volunteers where you live, work, or play. From, from a practical standpoint, uh, I'm, I'm just curious from either one of you guys, what, 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 what does that look like where I, I live, work and play? Um, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a hiker. So I'm, I'm going to be church out on a mountain. I run marathons. So I'm, I'm doing church on the road. Like what, what's the practicality of this? I mean, I could jump in real quick and then Craig, you, you can probably give some examples too from some of the things that happened in Stadia. Um, one of the innovations for us, I think, and I think it'd be fun for us to talk about that word innovation again, too, um, that came out of this last year for us at Community Christian, the church I had to lead in Chicago, is we started uh, giving, we started training and releasing these micro sites or micro churches. And so our first cohort, we now have five that we're getting ready. We're at, literally, we're commissioning next or this, this coming Sunday. And uh, three are in Spanish, two are in English. Um, four in Chicago and one's in Mexico city. Um, most of them are actually going to be where people live in their homes. Uh, one of them I know is, is it, is it already is going to be in a restaurant, but they're just finding their own places where their friends, neighbors, coworkers can gather and they're using, and maybe this is part of our conversation too, a lot of the digital technology or digital content that we're able to create from a larger church, but we've completely empowered them to use it however they can to reach kind of their own uh, their own um, kind of uh, circle of influence. Dave, would you say in that description of live, work, and play, is that about where a microchurch meets, or is that really more about who the focus, you know, like the missional focus of the group is? It's probably it's probably more the missional focus of where the group is. Yeah, I yeah, I think because um, it may be, hey, most most of the people that are coming to this group are families from my kids' little league team. Or it might be most of the people are actually people that I work out with. Um, it could be those kinds of things. So they may not necessarily meet there, but that's where the affinity is. Yes, that's a good distinction. Right. I was just, I was curious. We've been working closely with, you know, a good friend and partner in, in, in Rob uh, Wagner. So kind of all of us share kind of that common relationship and, you know, some of their stories. And that's just been an observation on my part is as they've talked about various microchurches that have emerged in KC. The initial most common focus was a neighborhood focus. Uh, but as they began to multiply, some of you become a part of a neighborhood group, then realize, hey, my affinity group is at my workplace. 
And so that became that person's mission of focus or my affinity group is that, you know, soccer team or whatever that thing is that I do. And so uh, I think in this, and this is where this conversation is going to go uh, in some ways, some of those groups may have resorted then to digital meeting spaces uh, because of pandemic or even sometimes just convenience. Um, but the digital meeting space didn't necessarily drive the missional focus. I was going to say, because like, for example, one of our new 3C communities really got birthed out of what was a watch party uh, at, a, at a restaurant. So like over the last year, they were consistently having the watch parties on Sundays at this restaurant. And they were, I mean, lots of people were showing up and they're sharing food um, and they're, they're like, this totally works. And they're, and then so when we offer this opportunity to be trained, us, we're like, yeah, let's do this and let's keep going. But exactly right. Through the, through the, the networks and the options that you have, Community Christian, new, new thing. Have you guys explored much of this digital only, you know, expression of church? Uh, is, has that been a, a thing for you? Has it been more in, in the physical side? Forgive me, I probably should have known that in advance, but I, I haven't kept up. What, what are you guys doing and exploring in, in the digital only space? One of the things that's happened for us, again, I'll speak of Community Christian Church, is coming out on the other end of this this last year and kind of that idea of like, hey, we're fierce, he's a crisis, faith, sees opportunity. We would say that we went from being one church with multiple locations to now we'd say one church with multiple expressions and, and, spe- and specifically four different expressions. And so there are our physical locations that we have in the city and suburbs of Chicago. That's one. The second that we would say would be community online. And... um Jeff, this won't be any surprise to you, but I mean, like the number of people that we've reached in this last year has just been, I mean, a ridiculous number. And I mean, you know, all 50 states, 153 countries, all that kind of stuff. Like everybody, we're also figuring out, okay, how do you actually then turn that into real engagement? And and we're having, in fact, I just came from a Barna cohort right before I jumped on here, the hybrid, the, the talking about hybrid church stuff. So that's the second expression. And, and we do think, and it would be fun to talk about this. We do think, no, that could be a full expression of church online. Um, then thirdly is what we call community freedom. We currently have three locations in prisons across, across Chicago. And then and the fourth one is what these micro expressions called 3C communities. And so those are our four different expressions. Uh, at locations in person, you call it physical. Online, you call it digital. And then we have a community freedom in prisons and then also our micro sites. So uh, really a it's quite a bit different than where we were 14 months ago. Yeah, I, I think for for me, and, and that's that's beautiful. I love that. I would love to even uh, unpack what it is for you guys as you're trying to get engagement across 50 states, 150 some countries. Like there's, and I would, and I would love, and I would love to get your coaching. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have that conversation off air. We'll lock it in. Um, no, I don't know. I might so- pick your brain before we're done. <laughs> When when we talk digital only, it's it's an opportunity, and I'm not here to convince you necessarily, but to even start to draw this parallel. Um, the way that Rob Wagner would look at Kansas City or to look at um, different areas, communities around and, and say, this is a community that's worthy of a church. Uh, we at Stadia, we've got digital planners. Uh, I've, I've got a digital planner that, that just launched a church in Twitch. Uh, it's a, it's a church, not for video gamers, but of video gamers. And, and he's doing services and he's doing discipleship using platforms like Twitch and Discord. 
Um, and we've got mutual friends and there's all sorts of, of people that are doing, uh, Discord church that, that are doing uh, Twitch, that are doing Facebook, that are doing social media, uh, virtual reality. Like there's the conversation go on and on. We talk about them all, all the time. But what's, what's interesting uh, in, in some of these contexts is it's the same passion that a, 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 a micro church planner would look at at a community. At a neighborhood, at a, a, you know, a church on the block type of approach. We see that same thing in, in digital space, even to the point of, Hey, it's my job in this church, in this micro church to have a conversation with someone to share faith, highly evangelical, but then to get them on mission, to release them, to share with others, that multiplication piece. Really, when we look in the digital context, we, we're seeing that same type of approach where it comes down to that disciple making, down to that multiplication. As you know, and you alluded to it a little bit here, where the church, your broadcast of your services through, you know, what you're calling community online, you're reaching 153 nations. There's a whole bunch of people in there. Who are their names? Like, I mean, I'm asking facetious. You don't, you don't, you don't know. It's so easy to have people kind of get lost in isolation. And that's one of the reasons why you're feeling that pain point of, Hey, I've got to engage with these people. I got to dialogue. I got to meet them. I got to take that first step to the disciple with it. You know, arguably with the micro, that's far more relational towards that. And you're not using technology to broadcast your message to millions or hundreds of thousands. You're using it to, to kind of fine tune into a conversation with dozens or even individuals and having that one-on-one conversation where it gets more towards that disciple making and, and multiplication friendly. So the similarities between these are, are, are huge. Um, it's, how do you, and just some, some struggles kind of, kind of come up. Well, let me ask, as you've done through, uh, through community, Christian, what, what, what with the multi, uh, with the microsite, with the micro church locations, what are some of the challenges that, and like, what, where do you bang your head on? What, what's, what's the pain points that, that you kind of struggle with at that micro spot? Well, I mean, let's, 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 let's keep it real here too. Cause I mean, like I said, we're getting ready to launch our first cohort. So it's not like I'm an expert, <laughs> but I can, I have, I, I have some thoughts anyway. All right. Um, I anticipate because one of the things we like through new thing, and through exponential, I've been able to see things, and even and community, I've seen things scale. So, like this point, new thing, we have 388 small networks around the world in 40 countries, close to 6,000 churches that are a part of those networks. So, I've seen that kind of go from like one church we planted in Denver to going, oh my goodness. I think one of the things that we're really trying to watch is okay, how do we make this scalable? Because we. We actually had the conversation with our lead team meeting this morning going like, okay, so we have five of these. And actually, this kind of is a brass tax thing. Okay, from a financial perspective, if this costs us anything, if it grows in time, we won't be able to afford it. <laughs> so the question so the question is, okay, how do we make this thing actually be able to scale? And I, th- I think the, the financial part of that, how do we continue to you know provide great coaching? How do we continue to provide great content now? And we didn't know this was going to happen. We didn't know we were going to that that three of the five were going to be in Spanish. That's just like I'm like what? Because we only have one location that really is really focused on a Spanish speaking community, physical location. So I think that's I think that is a, I think that's actually a significant issue 
Um, um, I think what, what Rob is doing in, in, in KC and underground is, is great. I'm trying to figure out though, how do I not have to raise money for this? And if these are really going to, it's really going to be scalable. I think that's, that's one, that's one kind of question. There's always the other thing I was listening to Tim Keller, um, recently and, and Tim is not a huge fan of, of microsites. And part of the reason he says that is because he says, well, we live in such a mobile society and that if these micro expressions aren't connected to an institution, they, people, you know, if you have two or three families move away from one of these microsites, pretty soon you've gutted the whole thing and you got nothing. And so you have to, he says, you have to multiply faster than people kind of transition. And so I think, again, we're kind of going, okay, how do we keep them close enough to the institution of Community Christian Church so we can help them, okay, find apprentices? How do we also make sure we embed this multiplication so they actually multiply faster than they, because we don't like to think about this. I'd like to think every one of them is going to give birth and then go on forever and going to be wildly successful. But the truth is there's going to be some... there's going to be some, some that aren't going to make it. So how do we actually do that? So I think those are some of the things that we're really kind of thinking through. Dave, I'm curious. I want to take you back a little bit. You, um, in your definition of microchurch, you use the phrase full expression of church. Uh, I'm curious how much, whether as leadership, just, you know, people who are part of community, like how much of a wrestling match was there over full expression and there's got to be a reason that was included in the definition i think our ver- i think our understanding of to use a more technical term a minimal ecclesiology is pretty simple because if you ask me what's a minimal ecclesiology and, and for anybody if that's a new term then it's just kind of like what's what's the least you have to have to have a church i mean i would say if you have a community of people where jesus is lord and they're on mission you have a church <laughs> Um, I know a lot of people want to attach, you know, some of the sacraments. They want to attach, you know, eldership. They want to attach church polity, those kinds of things to it. Um, when I look, when I look at the New Testament, that's kind of what I see. You know, a community of people where Jesus is Lord and they're on mission. And so, when you start with that kind of a minimal ecclesiology, and it it it's it's not hard to go like, no, these could be a full expression, although smaller, that are lay often lay led. By people where you live, work, and play. So probably our understanding of minimal our minimal ecclesiology allows us to get there pretty quickly. No, that's great. And I, 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 I would, okay, Craig. I want to I hear. From, I want to hear from you, Craig. What, what's your thoughts on that as a minimal, as far as minimal ecclesiology? I would agree with you. We um, we've been wrestling with that at Stadia, and one of the challenges for us is we've been helping people plant churches globally, and you know here in the U.S. and ecclesiologically, they look very different. Uh, you know, it, it, particularly some of the work that we're doing, um, Southeast Asia, you know, a church is a leader, um, who has, you know, uh, a certain number of disciples and, you know, they are together on mission. I mean, it fits your definition. Uh, and so we've kind of said, Hey, that, you know, there's a community, um, there's Jesus as Lord. I think we've added like a third leg of, you know, just like biblical, you know, foundation. I'm not sure that, you, you know, Jesus is Lord, biblical foundation, you know, and you kind of, is that redundant? <laughs> right. Uh, but that a lot of the stuff that would, you know, again, the, the, you know, how is the church governed? How is the church, you know, funded? Like uh, those are not part of that minimum ecclesiology. And so if we're going to call those works that we're doing over there churches, then we really have to have that minimal ecclesiology. 
the stretch has been to then come back over on the U.S. side and say, okay, then we're going to call the same thing a church over here, where really historically that's not, at least at a pragmatic level. We might have said from a definition level, well, that's still true. But then we tended to add a whole bunch of things, you know, particularly in the realm of church planning to get to, okay, that is a, you know, a church and has to have certain things and look a certain way. For us, I think that minimum ecclesiology to kind of connect some of this conversation leads to digital. So, right, w- w- the question, you know, can you, can digital only be a church? Well, with that kind of minimal ecclesiology, I think it's a lot easier to get to yes, right? You know, is there a community people? Is Jesus Lord? Are they on mission together? So we take you know, our, our digital only church on Twitch. Like we can answer yes to those three questions really quick. Check, check, check. It's a church. Uh, we start adding other things and that's where we start getting into, oh, digital only can't be a church. And it's really because we've expanded the ecclesiology that creates the problem. Yeah. I mean, two things come to mind. One is, and I think what you hinted at there, and I want to go back to it, is really important for our listeners. Um, at Stata, you've had experience and interaction with global leaders from the East, just like New Thing. So, I mean, I'm immediately thinking of Albert Tennyson, who's in India, who last summer, under his leadership as a not just a network leader, but a movement leader, helped plant 100 churches. Okay. And so we bring him in and we sit and we listen to him go, okay, tell us how you did it. And this is, this is a core part of it. Or I'm thinking about a woman from Uganda named B3, same thing. I mean, who's rapidly reproducing these expressions of church. And as you begin to understand how they're doing that, and I think it does we need a little more humility here in the West to go like, hey, this we're not the center of Christianity anymore. It's either in Africa or some places over there. And we need to learn from them. And I think as we learn from them, then I think we do begin to shift our minimal ecclesiology. The second thing I'll throw at you too is, I think one of the things for us at Community Christian, even as a church in the West, that was a launch, that originally was a launch large strategy. The way we've always talked about the church is in terms of relationships. And we always talked about in terms of three relationships, your relationship with God, your relationship with the church, your relationship with the world. And we call it celebrate, connect, and contribute, the three C's. That's why we call them three C communities. Well, if you look at that middle ecclesiology, a community of people where Jesus is Lord, that's on mission, what it does is it, it articulates all three of those relationships. Your relationship with God, Jesus is Lord, your relationship with the church, okay? a community, and a relationship with the world. It's on mission. And I think those are the three primary relationships that grow a disciple and also grow a church and actually define a church. Um, but I, I think what you said earlier, too, about learning from some of our friends in other parts of the world is, is crucial, crucial. And and partly that's why we're doing this like five at a time. You know, we're doing this kind of slow to start with. I mean, because every part of me like is go big, you know. But I hopefully I have enough sense at this point to go like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing yet. But we're going we're gonna to do this, and I have had enough experience scaling things that once we get it right, or at least not even right, once we get it closer to right, <laughs> then we can scale it. I think, Jeff, as you continue to you know, have this conversation with people, that, that more and more of that conversation has got to come back to minimum ecclesiology. We just, particularly here in the West, you know, the, the things that we think of as church uh, particularly culturally, but even I think within churches, it'd be interesting. You know, maybe you've taught well enough, David. I know you're a great teacher. So that's like, you know, the people at community are really buying that. But I, my guess is you could go talk to, you know, some people just in the lobby on a Sunday morning and say, Hey, tell me what church is. 
and you'd probably hear a whole bunch of things that aren't a part of that, those three critical things. And so changing that mindset to realize or to help people recognize, oh, those are the three things that make a church a church is some work that we've got to do because we've created churches that were so much more. And so people have then naturally assumed that all of these things that we do must be essential uh, rather than seeing them as, as just optional or, uh, you know, they serve a purpose, but there's a difference between serving a purpose and being essential. What's your thoughts on that, Jeff, as far as, I mean, as far as a minimal ecclesiology related to a digital church? Yeah, I mean, three of the pillars that, that we look at, and, and it's been taken from lots of different places, but I know uh, intentional churches has used it, is that is that large gathering is the groups and, and it's on mission. Um, it was funny, just this morning I was having breakfast with with some guys from out of town and they were, you know, more of the Rick Warren baseball diamond, you know, as, as that's like their ecclesiology. And it's like, well, serving looks different in digital, which is one of the reasons why we don't necessarily emphasize that because it's, well, you're not serving. So your limits what you can do. And even at a micro location, it, it looks different. And, and so if to, to say that serving's not important, but maybe it's not emphasized as, as much, um, you know, the, the acts two, Hey, they, they did, they did communion. Um, you know, I, I've, I've done some crazy things in my life as a digital pastor. I, I stood on stage once and said, Hey, you know, uh, broadcasting and said, Hey, you, you don't have grape juice and a cracker. Go get a Coke and Snickers, bring this together and, and do it. And, and the church, you know, probably wasn't very happy at the moment that I said, get a Coke and Snickers. And they criticized me for, you know, being, uh, defaming to the Bible and that I, I'm, I'll have a conversation with God one day and apologize if I, if I need to. But at the end of the day, it's, it looks different in digital space. And, and so taking that freedom, recognizing the biblical mandates and, and the challenges of, of what we're doing. Hey, hold to that standard. Just let's figure out how to do it differently in digital because not everybody's going to have grape juice and a cracker. So we've got to figure that out. Because we're not going to stop a movement of God because of not having a cracker. I, just in my opinion, anyway. I mean, like for example, I'm community online. We we still do communion every week on community online. And I mean, there are some of the 50 weeks when we weren't meeting. The truth be known, I when we would get to that part of the service, and I was actually participating at my home with my wife. You know what? She might grab a piece of a scone and a hot tea, and that and that. You know what? And you know what? I I. I think I think Jesus was glorified in that. I think he was grateful that we that that we had that celebration that moment. Yeah, there's there's all sorts of interesting stories. Uh I we I was at a church once. We we're doing um uh, micro locations through the church online service. And so we had guys we're in Miami, Florida. We had guys up in New York City that were creating a, a micro church network. And and they actually they recorded a baptism that was done in a New York City apartment, like a rundown, tiny New York City apartment where like they're in a bathtub and the bathtub is like a sink. Um, and, and so they, they videotaped it. And when they took the guy down, they didn't take him away from the nozzle. They took him towards the nozzle. And it was like this far away from banging his head. And so like there's all sorts of drama centered around this. The water splashes out. Like it's, it's this beautiful, but it's this really telling video of these guys who were on mission activated in New York city out there and, and we're changing lives. We're evangelizing and discipling people in, in unique ways. And it was funny. Like I took that video and I texted it to every person on staff 
And 50% of the people on staff at the church that I was at said, this is the coolest thing that I've ever seen. We need to do more of this. The other half of the people, we should never do this. You can't do this. Is that person authorized to baptize? Are, are, are they, have they been approved? Are you are we sure that person accepted Christ? And it was, it was beautiful. The bifurcation of a different movement where half the people were like, do it again. And half the people were like, this is biblically wrong. You should stop now. So there's that tension of, hey, like, and that's one of the things, Dave, honestly, when I'm, when I'm looking at some of the stuff that you're doing, your church has figured out, and we, we at Stadia, we use this term multimodal. Uh, there's four different, ty- or there's multiple different types of churches, different types of churches reach different types of people. You know, you listed off, you're, you're doing physical, you're doing, uh, church online through community online, kind of the broadcast small group type of model. You're doing prison ministry. Now you're developing this E3, which gets into that, that, that micro level. I love that. There's not a lot of churches that are able to separate the, Hey, you know what? It's okay for somebody to get baptized in a, in a, in a bathtub. We, we want that. We want to encourage people to baptize other people. It's not the, the sacred where the professional Christian has to be the one to do it. We want to activate people, uh, empower people with this ability to lead people to Christ and, and, and to baptize. It's, it's beautiful, but it's, it's rare. What's some of the, the mind space with, with your organization, with, um, with community Christian? How'd you get to that place? Like, what were some of the, some of the, the pain points? Tell, tell me the story of how you went from the church that, that you were, maybe one mode, to really starting to appreciate this idea of a multimodal approach. I mean, again, we, there's, there's plenty of things to list where we screwed it up. <laughs> okay, so we'll talk about a few of the things since the podcast to help you where we got it right. Um, I think, again, by, I think a couple things by God's grace. Um, we've, we've always had a history I think from day one, uh, where most of the people who became Christ followers, and we're very evangelistic, very outreach oriented. Our mission is to help people find their way back to God. Uh, um, when they would say yes, the, the people that would baptize them were the, were the, were the people in their small group. I mean, so, and, and that, that was, and we even talked about that's kind of like, that's the payday. And so, I mean, we, the person who gets baptized, the person who does the baptizing, we always give them a t-shirt and, and, and they get to be there and they, and, and they're the ones doing the baptizing, not, not the staff. So, and even, and I think this was kind of by God's grace too. It, the last Sunday before we met, whatever that was, uh, March, whatever that was, 7th, 5th, whatever that date was back in 2020, before we ended up closing up for our physical building, that expression for 50 weeks was actually our commissioning Sunday. And we do this every year where we oftentimes will teach our blessed practices. And I'll give a little plug. That's the, a book that I just wrote that kind of explains these five missional practices that we teach our people. Um, but we taught on that. And then we said, if you have a person or a place, if there's a people group or a place that you feel called to, we want you to know that we are behind you and we want this to be your commissioning or your, or really your, we can get away with this because we're non-denominational, your ordination. So you come forward and we want to, and we'll actually anoint people. We anoint you and we want to pray over you and we're going to send you back out into the community, back to that, that, that people group. Okay. Or that particular place, maybe it's a neighborhood or wherever it is that you feel called to reach. And I mean, it is an awesome Sunday we do because people come forward, our staff, we, we anoint them and then we pray for them and then we send them out. We had no idea that that would be the, you know, the, the, the last Sunday we'd actually meet in person for the next 50 weeks. And so 
one of the hurdles we don't have to overcome as much a community is there's already a mindset um, that every person is on should be on mission. And here are the missional practices that we use. And that when you get to see someone find their way back to God, you're the one that gets to baptize them because you're the one who led them on that journey. And, and then you get to apprentice them into leadership. Um, so some of those obstacles that you might find in other churches, we don't have. And I think that has, that has made it easier for us moving towards these uh, four expressions. Does simplifying the ecclesiology like lend towards more acceptability? It's not what we're defining church isn't this 47 step thing. It's really this three core components and, and we can do things to it. Like I would imagine that would be easier for lay people to get behind to understand and, and even get towards replicating and multiplying. Like is that was that what you've seen out of community Christian? Yeah, I think you're on to it, Jeff. And, and and I think one of the things that happened too, so our key metric at community is discipleship now. But and a lot of people say that and, and that's good. But the way we actually measure it is what we call those three C's of celebrate, connect, and contribute. How many people, you know, are celebrating the relationship with God? How many people are connecting, doing life and community together? How many are contributing either inside our physical spaces or in their neighborhoods? And so whatever that number is, is by far the, that's way more important than attendance. That's way more important than offering. That's more important than anything. Cause we feel like if we get that one right, everything else will follow. And I think, and, and I think maybe talking to you all has made me realize this. I think because that's how we define discipleship. These three C's, these three relationships, that it only, it's a very logical conclusion that when you bring a group of disciples together, that why would you, why would you define it any differently? That's what a church is, a group of disciples doing what disciples do. You know, Jesus is Lord, we're doing community together, and we're on mission. Yeah, my observation was similar, but maybe just a different angle. And I'm a, you know, a distant observer of community, right? I've never, I've been there, but you know, I've never been apart, never lived in Chicago, uh, but I've had the privilege of kind of following the story with occasional inside glimpses. And I think one of the things that I would say as an observation is the clarity of mission is exceptional. Uh, you know, I'm not a part of community. I know your mission is to help people find their way back to God. <laughs> You know, how many people can name the mission of their church? Yeah, okay, I'm in the business, about it, but still, like, that's just, you've made that crystal clear. But I think the other thing you've done is that's communicated in a way that that's not somehow community's mission. That's our collective mission. That's my mission and your mission and our mission, and we're all on it together. And with Craig, the clarity, I want to, I want to, I want to hug you right now. Yes, <laughs> yes. But with the clarity of those two things, then to come and say, "Hey, we're going to do digital. We're going to do micro. We're going to go into like where." If I get those two things, what would my points of resistance be? I mean, at worst, it's okay. That's not for me. I like right, but. Uh, where would I find the foundation for we as a church or those people should not be doing that? It doesn't because of the clarity of those two things. And I think probably for many churches that have kind of in this season kind of been pushed into some different forms, pushed into digital expression, pushed um, into micro expressions by external circumstances in the absence of that as a core then you get all kinds of chaos as you begin to move in that direction. And it's easy to place the blame on micro doesn't work or digital doesn't work. Right. Right. And so, 
But at the end of the day, that's not where the root of the problem is. The root of the problem is back at the core of mission and strategy. And so if you're a gathered church and that's what you do and you want to go micro, you want to go digital, you're going to have to spend some time resetting people to mission and strategy that encompasses those things. It's just never going to work. Which and which trying to do that in the middle of a pandemic is a really hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do anyway. But here, let me let me throw this out too, Craig and Jeff. Maybe just kind of a leadership tip to some of maybe some of the leaders are going like, "Oh my gosh, now I feel frustrated. I don't. I'm not. I'll never be able to do it." Well, here's here's one of the things that maybe you remember this name, Craig. Remember Lyle Schaller? Yep. Okay, so Lyle Schaller, he's a guy who wrote uh, wrote or authored probably a hundred books on church life in America. He used to tell me this. He would say, count the yes votes. <laughs> count the yes votes. Or or uh, Bob Buford. Bob Bob was a mentor of mine. Bob would always say this too. He'd say, work with the willing and with what wants to happen. So now, because your listeners might get the impression like, wow, everybody at community is for this. This is, how does that happen? Well, I'm sure everybody at community isn't for it. But guess what? I didn't ask them. <laughs> All right. And so what you do is, Count the yes votes. Who wants to go start a microchurch? All right, we're going to invest because we do. We'll do ten weeks of training. We do ten weeks of training, and we'll give you. Then we'll give you great coaching, and then we're going to also give you all our creative content. And we're going to we're going to do this thing together. And so you count the yes votes, or work with the willing. And I do believe, and I think that's why we're having this conversation, Jeff and Craig, because I think the digital and I think the micro is something that is especially now more than ever wanting to happen. So um, for any of your frustrated leaders out there. You don't have to get everybody on board. In fact, I mean, you remember the innovation curve. I mean, look for that top, that that two or three percent of the, you know, the innovators and find those people in your church and just work with them to get this thing started and get some momentum. And then then we'll scale it kind of like what we're trying to do. Yeah, you probably remember my church playing mentor, Dean Pence. Um, I'm sure somewhere along the line you met Dean and um, his phrase was go with the goers. Same thing. Yes. So it's it's all these different expressions that communicate the same thing, and it, and I think back to where you started, you know, Steve Stroop's wisdom, another you know another great leader, right? that you know, in, in fear sees crisis, faith sees opportunity, and if you're spending your time focused on the people who are in fear, it, you're, you're going to be in perpetual crisis, and so you really have to make this decision. Uh, to operate in faith and to, you know, go with the goers, work with the willing. Uh, there is probably a place for pastoring and caring for, you know, people who are in fear. We don't probably we'll, we'll get in trouble if we talk about, you know, completely ignoring them. But I don't think you want those people to drive the agenda, right? Right. They, 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 and a lot of them have prophetic gifts where, I mean, you know, pay attention to them because they're going to, because they'll ask the tough questions like, well, how are you going to pay for this? You know, I heard a phrase this way. We kind of like everybody to go, wow, but there's too many people that go, how? <laughs> and I, I think you can. You can listen to the how question. You can listen to the how question and then go, like, okay, that's good. I need to think about that. Because, I, mean, I, lo- I mean, I get an adrenaline rush every time we get a new idea. I love it. Okay? And I think, you know, a younger version of me would have just, I would have said, okay, we need to start 100 of these right now. But I think... The first two seasons, and we start five, and then five, and then ten, and then ten. We'll get to a hundred within two or three years, and it'll be freaking awesome. But I think asking some of these questions is, you know, so I think those people can also play an important part. 
But, but I would agree, uh, you know, the turning the ship, regardless of the size of the ship is never easy. Uh, and you know, recognizing that as a leader and, uh, you know, metaphorically, it's a lot easier to take a few adventurous people and put them in, you know, a little boat to go on an excursion, uh, and, you know, and support and encourage that. Uh, without having to try and turn the whole ship, but then recognizing, you know, some of those, some of those are going to fail. Some of those experiments, some of those risks, they aren't going to work. That's okay. Uh, but the ones that do, like those people come back, they get back on the ship and man, they, <laughs> they are so excited about what they've seen and what they've experienced that, you know, when the excursion wants to go out on the next time, right? There's twice as many people in line to go on that excursion. Right. And then they come back and celebrate. And pretty soon the whole ship is going that way. And I think sometimes we want to turn the ship before anybody wants to go to that new destination. And and then we wonder why kind of the whole thing doesn't work. And, the, and you're describing a strategy that just from a leadership perspective makes much more sense. You've got some willing people. Support them. Encourage them. I think the other thing, too, we ought to do is is also think of it not just about your church, but about the kingdom. Like, so I've been doing this long enough. I remember when we first went multi-site, like 20 years ago. And one of the first gatherings that Leadership Network ever had of multi-site leaders was at our, in Chicago. And so, you know, we're there, Life Church is there. I mean, you know, so, I mean, I kind of feel like, yeah, we were one of the first ones in. We didn't do it nearly as well as Life Church. And guess what? That's okay. And even this micro church thing, you know what? If we're one of the first large churches in the U.S. to give it a shot and then everybody else kind of goes like, oh, well, Ferguson tried it. Let's try it, but make it better. That's awesome. That's freaking awesome, right? So I think you have to have a little bit of that mindset too, going like, hey, we're all in this together. And if if we screwed up the first time, then you make it better. That, that's awesome. That's great. I would go back and I would say that my earlier comment on innovation, I, I think – uh, that's a difficult mindset because the one of the characteristics of true innovators at the end of the day is a willingness to fail. Uh, they are okay with failure. Doesn't mean they. I want. To, I want to paint the picture like that. Innovators like failure or get excited about failure. Uh, but there's something about an innovator's mindset that recognizes that. Creating something new is, is going to come at the end of multiple failed experiments and they're willing to endure the failures to get to the end. Uh, and there's far more people who are innovator or who are iterators who watch what the innovator does and say, Oh, I could do that too. So that's what you just described. I mean, you have an, an, an innovator's mind, heart, that's the way you, you know, you are the way you've led community. That's a great benefit to the kingdom. Um, and so it just, it, we need those people. And in this season, we need even more of those people, whether on small scale or large scale to just go try things. A whole bunch of them aren't going to work. It's okay. You know, I mean, one of the, one of the things that has helped me on this, I think about innovation. Um, this is a, Old book, but it's a classic by Peter Drucker. And it's just basically, it's on innovation. And I was reading through it again because the season, because who's not thinking about it? And he defines innovation a little different way. He says innovation 
is the reallocation of resources from those things that are unproductive to those things that are productive. And all of a sudden you're going, hold it. So innovation is just moving my energy and money from things that aren't working <laughs> to things that you think might work. And all of a sudden, when you do that, you, all of a sudden you go like, hold it, I might be able to innovate. <laughs> and, and he just, he just, I mean, he wrote, again, a kind of a simplification going, oh, okay, so that's what it looks like. And so, I mean, we had a conversation on our lead team this meeting because these three C communities were going to launch and we got a way now, I think, financially to make it scale, but it needs a little bit of cash to get it off the ground. So the guy came with a proposal. And so we're going, okay, we're going to take this money from here. And now we're going to put it into our three C communities. And and then you get on a podcast and they call it innovation. Are you comfortable? I'm just curious because we we talk about pioneer, persevere, perish. You know, it's the same. If you're going to pioneer in some area, you got to kill something off. And, and so I can tell you there's a number of churches that want to do this this micro, this this E3 thing that's similar to what you're doing. Excuse me, 3C thing that you're doing. Um, what'd you kill? Can you say? Are you comfortable saying that? What, what, what did you stop doing? No, that's a great that's a great question, Jeff. And and if my lead team was here, they'd go like, yeah, yeah. What did you stop doing, Dave? <laughs> um, and I think and I think there haven't been enough of those. But but what you're saying is right. Okay, so I mean, I think that's uh, that's 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 not a strength. I kind of do like to hang on to some things, you know, because oh, we thought of. But I think you're absolutely right. So people are listening in. Yeah, if you're going to start doing these things, I think it is, especially if, if you're talking about reallocating resources, that means you're stopping doing some of these things. So you're still in the experimental phase. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, 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 no. That, I, I, no, I think you make a really good point for the leaders listening, that if you're going to do this, it also means stopping some things. And I've, I would just admit, I don't think I've done a great job of that yet, We're gonna, but that's it's coming. Yeah, we've, that would be another lesson I would say we learned in this season is, uh, and this is, I think, Cotter, you know, that change is loss and thus change results in grief. And one of the things we realized in the season is that there were things church planners were losing, not by failure, not by, you know, poor planning, poor vision. They were losing them because the, the entire, you know, circumstance of the world had turned upside down. And, um, the to a certain extent, the better we could help them grieve what was lost, the the better they were going to be at moving, you know, at adopting new and different and moving forward. Uh, the worst thing to do is to get stuck in the grief of what was lost, uh, because then you're not going anywhere. And and that and you know anybody that's experienced grief in their life, nobody wants to live in grief. That's a terrible place to be. Uh, and so that that's hard to, em- to just embrace that grief of the thing that's being lost. But that's part of what it takes to move forward. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Hey, yeah, this has been a, a solid conversation. I don't know. There's like nine books that I've written down here. We'll include all the links in the show notes. Uh, I'm going to do, do some digging into Cotter a little bit there to find the exact book for the quote, but we've got it all. It's fine. And never mind all the name drops that have been happening in this podcast. It's really been an interesting run. Um, hey, so Dave, at, with uh, community, so you're obviously very forward facing your very future. You're thinking multimodal, four different approaches. Uh, I half wanted to ask you the question, hey, if I wanted to plant a digital only expression of church, that would give you five. What would that process be? We'll, we'll talk off air about that. Maybe there's... Let's do it. Let's do it. The, an- the answer is yes. The answer is yes. But let, let me ask this. Um, so 
you know, there's a pastor that wants to go back to February 2020 because February 2020 was the golden age of church. Uh, we could side hug. You could hang out with people, shake hands, kiss babies. You know, that, that was like next to like Jesus second coming. That was the perfect time. Um, what advice would you give them? Um, I, I think, I think I'd probably hitchhike on what Craig said. Um, pastorally, I'd, if, 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 if social distancing was an issue, I'd give them a hug. And then I'd say, you know, tomorrow is not going to be February of 2020. Tomorrow is going to be, you know, June of 2021. And here's what June of 2021 looks like. And I mean, it's interesting. I brought up Lyle Schaller. He used to actually always say that because Lyle was a futurist. And his joke would always be this because he worked with lots of denominations. He'd say, well, if tomorrow is, you know, 1995, everything should be just fine. <laughs> but it's not going to be. We we can't go back. And um in some ways, I think we already were behind. And so I think it's forced all of us, especially when we're talking about digitally, to catapult forward to, to the current reality. And um, I mean, yeah, I think I help them work through that grieving process that, that Craig talked, because they're just, they're just, they're missing the past and it's, it's not coming back. Not the way it was. Awesome. Well, well said. Uh, work on the grieving and, and mourning portion of it. You got to, you got to, let go of of models and realize maybe the end game is is something different and, and embrace some new ideas the the idea of the innovation um going with the edge you can't get everybody to buy in but go with what you can set that example celebrate tell those stories uh and then let the others come along is is that's a, a beautiful picture well gentlemen thank you for this conversation uh thank you for the time uh i i know uh it's it's I'm believe me it's hard to get you two together at the same time with schedules and so I'm very appreciative of the limited time that we had Dave Ferguson sir thank you for for joining on Craig uh, once again uh, it's it's always a pleasure hey thank you Jeff for what you're doing too because I feel like in many ways you are kind of leading the charge in this conversation for the church here in North America so keep it up. Dave, great to see you. Appreciate your leadership. Thanks, man. You too, Craig. See you, buddy. For for Craig, for Dave, this is Jeff at the Church Digital State of Church Planning. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time on the show. Y'all have a good day.